0: Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour on 830WCCO. Denny Long here along with Master Gardener Teresa Rooney. Let's see if we can can, uh, get rid of the gremlins and say hello once again to Teresa. Are you there, Teresa?
3: I am here. I have banished the gremlins.
0: Outstanding. Good. And uh, I'm happy, and so are our listeners. We have callers <laughs> and we have texters. So if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question you want to chat with uh, or, or uh, send a text to Master Gardener Teresa Rooney. I'll tell you what let's do. There's a, a bunch of text messages already, but, you know, we have callers as well, Teresa. Let's, uh-huh. uh, let's take care of those callers first we we're hanging on the line. I think Pat's first up and uh, in Big Lake. Pat, thank you for waiting. What's your question for Teresa.
3: Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I have um, an arbor, a quite, it's kind of a garden room um, that's quite large that's covered with grapevines. And I have something chewing on the leaves, making them very lacy looking. Um, someone's told me maybe they're flea beetles. And I just am um, wondering if there's any advice on how to take care of that. Pat, thanks for waiting so long. Um, what What I would consider is, first of all, looking for... The Japanese beetles, they love grapevines. It could be the flea beetles. Because the arbor is, um, the grapevine so nice and healthy, it won't hurt them to be eaten by, like, flea beetles or anything like that. Japanese beetles can strip them but again, the, the beetles, the uh, grapevine will be okay. If you do think it's Japanese beetles, go out there early in the morning and just maybe take a longer stick, a little light bamboo stick or something, and um, try knocking the beetles down into a jug of soapy water, and then they will drown. Um, I would guess it's something more like a Japanese beetles or a grapevine beetle, something like that. Um, they, again, aren't going to hurt kill the vine. It just makes it a little unattractive, and the grapes should be okay. Good luck with that,
0: Pat. Very good. Thank you, Pat. Let's grab a call from uh, Ken, who's checking in from uh, Maplewood this morning. Ken, you're on CCO with uh, Teresa. Thank you. I have a hibiscus, and the leaves are turning yellow on it and dropping off. I don't know what's calling that.
3: Uh, Ken, I'm assuming this is the uh, tropical hibiscus that maybe you keep in a pot. Make sure that you are watering it enough to keep it moist, but not over-watering it. Make sure that the pot has enough drainage so the water drains out completely. If it's in a saucer, once you give the plant a good water, maybe wait 15 minutes and then empty the saucer and make sure the saucer stays empty. You may need to empty it again if you've given it a good drink of water. That would be my guess. It's getting too much water, rather than not enough water. But again, make sure you are watering it enough. And older leaves are expected to drop off. That's totally normal, but you should be seeing new growth. And good luck with your hibiscus, Ken.
0: Your lawn and garden questions either by phone or by text, 651 on our Smart Garden Show. Uh, Teresa, a listener wanted you to address, and this is something I was unaware of, uh, evidently, there was a recent article about lupines being a, an invasive species, and they wanted you to talk about that. Is that, uh, is that true?
3: There there are, in some areas, lupines can be invasive. We do have some up on the North Shore. Those are maybe the ones that they're thinking of. There's nothing you really need to do if you plant a lupine in your yard. It should be okay. I would, however, suggest going over to the Extension website, extension dot dot and check it out i i know i've heard that lupines can be invasive but they're not i don't think that's for us um, but I have heard that in the back of my mind, so I don't want to give you a 100% definitive one way or the other. So I would send you over to the Extension website just to verify that. Um, you can plant the hybrids. They should be just fine. Unless you're next to a nature center, a nature, natural area that's being protected, a wetland or something like that, then always double-check before you plant any new plant because you never know what we found has been recently to be invasive or very aggressive and you just need to think hey I can still plant my lupins but what I want to do is before they set seed I cut off I deadhead them I take off all the seed possibilities then there's no way they can spread and you should be okay then.
0: Are those the plants I used to see when I used to head up to the North Shore? Yep. Off mm-hmm. to the roadside? Those, those
3: there? beautiful pinks and purples and white spires of flowers, yep. And they uh, like a real bad soil. They like a really lean soil, so they won't, they won't do much in your fancy garden soils. They like it a little leaner, too.
0: But as far as uh, homeowners, gardeners in the city or wherever, it's not. it doesn't have to be an issue then. It's not
3: them. really an issue if you're in the city or a suburban area where there's no nature, natural areas, protected areas around you. You don't have to worry about that. And again, anytime you're worried about a flower spreading, just make sure you deadhead it. That will cut the spread a lot.
0: Okay. This uh, text, again, here's our number uh, for a phone call or text, 651 Your chance to uh, chat or ask a master gardener your lawn or garden question. Here's one that says, buckthorn growing in my 70-year-old forsythia. If I selectively put Roundup on buckthorn leaves, will it hurt the forsythia? Buckthorn sh- just keeps coming back.
3: It does. You, you can selectively do that. If you can... Find, uh, go all the way down to where the buckthorn's coming out of the ground. Cut it off there and paint that newly cut area with a shrub killer That or shrub uh, killer. That will help too. Uh, and then put a coffee can over that so any buckthorn that does come up right around that cut cut stump will then be in the in the coffee can it won't get any light it won't photosynthesize it it won't grow as much lift off the coffee can and keep cutting it so those are your two options but the glyphosate should not translocate or move to the loop uh, to your um, honeysuckle that the plant is growing and the buckthorn's going and good luck because buckthorn's tough
0: that is really a tough plant.
3: It is a tough plant,
0: unbelievably yeah. tough.
3: <laughs> well, it doesn't have any natural enemies, so it's it's got a free range. It's a bully, and it doesn't have anybody challenging it except yeah, us.
0: Good point. Uh, let's see. Well, you got a bunch of text. Uh, while we here's a text. It says, "While we have been inundated with Japanese beetles the last four or five years, we have none this summer. Wonderful, but." Why, uh, as suddenly as they started, there are none? Why do you think that is?
3: (laughs) You know, Japanese beetles, uh, the populations can fluctuate greatly. A lot depends in the spring, what kind of a spring you have. If you have a drier spring, The grubs may not be able to grow as well, and we had a long cool spring that may have helped it. Uh, But we have seen that the the populations can fluctuate greatly. Uh, They've had Japanese beetles out on the east coast for many decades, and they they even still now the the populations are there, but they still fluctuate a little bit. So. I think about it takes about 10, 15 years before the population just kind of evens out. And it may be that maybe you're lucky and maybe you won't have Japanese beetles again, but you never know what next year will bring. Um, the the really dry weather last year may have helped to kill some of those grubs in the soil. As our lawns died, there wasn't anything for the grubs to eat. so. That, well, that be makes it sense. Too. But we do have golf courses and parks that are watered frequently. So there's still a lot of places for Japanese beetles grubs to live.
0: Abs for sure. Six five one four six one nine two two six. You know, what we haven't mentioned yet is the University of Minnesota website, which is I'm thinking, you know, on the show is fine. People can call up or text up the text you uh, with the lawn and garden questions. But during the week. Uh, they can find out a lot of information by just getting on that extension website, the university extension website, right?
3: You certainly can. If you suddenly go out to your... your veggie garden tomorrow and you find that your tomatoes have blossom end rot and you just kind of scream oh no you can go to the the, uh, website find out what to do with blossom end rot or if you're afraid squash bugs are coming for your squash plants there's hints on that and there's all kinds of wonderful things that you can learn there there's also a way to connect to master gardeners on the website too uh, via email and you can even send pictures so there's a lot of wonderful information on that extension.umn.edu
0: Yep, extension.umn.edu. You will love that site if you haven't already checked it out. Uh, Let's see. I'm looking at more text messages here, Teresa. Is it uh, good to trim back autumn joy sedum at this point in the year, or does it do better if it's just left alone?
3: You know, it's totally up to you. You can trim it back, and you can be doing this to a lot of your plants that maybe get a little tall and floppy toward the end of summer, your asters and things like that, you can trim them back by a third or a half. You just bring the size down. And what will happen is they'll branch out, they'll be a little stockier, and they'll have more flowers then for you when they do flower in the late um, summer into fall so you can really then control the size and the shapes of your plants so sure if you have a a nice rich soil and your sedums tend to get floppy your your autumn joy sedums get floppy go ahead and give them a little pruning trim them back a little bit and they'll and remember don't feed them uh, and they'll be just fine and they'll bloom nicely for you and maybe maybe hold their shape a little bit better
0: Okay. Uh, the texts keep coming in here, and that's just fine. If you want to chat with uh, with Teresa, that's fine, too. Same number, 651 uh, 461 Is it okay, this texter says, uh, to transplant a violet while it's blooming, or should I wait?
3: Anytime a plant is blooming, you just want to kind of leave it if you possibly can, then transfer, transplant it after it blooms or way before it blooms, if it's going to bloom later in the summer, you can transplant it in the, or in the spring. Um, if you have to, say you want to, you're in that area and somebody's sharing their violets with you or you have construction coming and you have to move that plant, go ahead, try to disturb the roots as little as possible. Have the new hole, hole already dug. Uh, fill up the new hole with water, let it drain. Put the new plant in there, seal, heal it in well, give it a good drink of water. It should be just fine. If you can wait till it's done blooming, that would be better. But if you have to move it now, those are some of the steps that will help you to make the transition easier for the plant.
0: Okay. Let's grab a phone call. Mike is checking in this morning from St. Paul, I believe. Mike, you're on with Teresa. What is your question, please? Uh, thank you, and good morning, uh... I have a Kingsman maple. It's about 45 years old. The bark is coming off of the bottom, and I just noticed that it's the flowage on it is, is dying. So is that an indication that my tree is dead?
3: <laughs> uh, it depends. If it was girdled in the wintertime time. Or if it's been damaged by lawn mowers and things like that, Mike. What I would probably do is also look at how the tree goes into the soil. Does the tree look like a telephone going, in, telephone pole going into the soil, which is straight down, or does it have that root flare, that that nice sloping away from the trunk of the tree into the soil where you can see those roots? Maples are notorious for self-girdling roots, where the roots actually turn back and girdle the stem and strangle it. So what I would do is I would look. Look for those roots first of all, and if that's not in evidence, then I would probably call a tree care, adva- uh, tree care, um, an arborist, a certified arborist, and let them look at the tree. Uh, sometimes maples do tend to do just have dieback. You know, if something's dead, if it's flagging, uh, I would have an arborist look at it. So look for a certified arborist, Mike, and I hope your Kingsman maple is okay. Good luck.
0: And we do have yeah, I got this- another, another. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, he's gone. Oh, no. Oh, that's all right. Mike can always call back. I tell you what, it's time for a break because uh, we need to look at that forecast. Not only do we need to, we want to, to see what the holiday weather is predicting this coming uh, week uh, as well. We have about another half hour of our Smart Garden show to go, so call in or text in your Lawn or Garden question for uh, Master Gardener Teresa Rooney, 651 461 9226. Back with more here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden show. Denny Long here along with Master Gardener Teresa Rooney answering your lawn or garden questions either by phone or by text as usual. Here's the number to do that. 651-461- Nine two two six. And before we grab some calls and get more text uh, questions answered, Teresa, you have kind of a follow-up on the Lupin question?
3: I do the um, the big leaf, leaf lupin is invasive. It can be invasive. They do sometimes spray it in the wild areas. The DNR has not classified it as an invasive. The agricultural, uh, Department of Agriculture hasn't classified it as invasive, but it does have those tendencies. We do have a native lupin which is not invasive. So again, if you're near a wild area, protected area, be careful which one you plant. Um, and that's all I can say. If you're in the cities and you're in a, in a town, that a suburban garden, you should be okay. All right, Hope good. that helps a little bit. And you can, you can check out the um, website, too.
0: All right, good. Thanks for that follow up. Uh, grab a phone call from Henry, who's next up here, calling in from uh, Rogers this morning. Uh, Henry, you're on CCO with uh, Master Gardener Teresa Rooney.
3: Good morning, you guys. Thank you for the show. You bet. I got a uh, a question about that uh emerald ash bore. Uh man, do you uh you got any uh any brains uh, to send my way to figure out what I got going here? I don't have any yet, I don't think, but um yesterday I had some tree trimming done on my property and uh the guy told me about this uh ash borer. It's the first I've heard of it and they claim it's in Maple Grove already. You
2: have any any uh information on that those things?
3: Sure, um Henry Emerald Ashbor is a, an ash tree pest, it will actually kill your ash trees. It's a little bug, a little tiny beautiful green little emerald beetle that lays its eggs under the bark of the ash trees, then the little borers hatch, they're like little maggoty things, little uh, wormy things, and they just kind of drill through and eat the wood. And by doing that, they block the transmission of uh, chemicals and nutrition between the leaves and the roots so eventually your ash tree dies. Um, we, We do have a lot of ash trees. We have a lot of emerald ash borer. If you are worried that your ash trees have an emerald ash borer, or you need some more information, I would first of all go to the Extension website, extension.umn.edu, and you can find a lot of information on that. You can see what happens is part of the tree starts to die up top, and that means the chemicals aren't getting up and down from the tree to the leaves, the roots to the leaves. You can have your trees looked at by a certified arborist, and again, I would stress using a certified arborist, because they'll know exactly what's going on you can pre, you can treat trees before the ash borer gets there. Uh, it's a long process. It's something you'll have to do for the life of the tree, so you have to consider that. Or right now, if you're worried that you're going to lose your ash tree, I would then plant something else, uh, another, another tree species, so that if you do have to take down your ash trees for that reason, you'll have other trees already growing. They won't be as big as your ash. Um, but yes, emerald ash borer is here. It's something we have to deal with. Uh, we don't have any really good uh, preventative treatments except for the spraying. There are other insects that can come in and prey, but, and prey on them, but it, we just don't have enough of those yet. So it's a problem. Good luck, Henry. I hope yeah. your ashes are okay.
0: And uh, speaking of, uh, and we mentioned this from time to time, we had a text, or I do have a text. Uh, somebody wanted to know, how do you find, in this particular case, it was in Oka County, how do I find... Uh, certified arborist, and what's the general uh, answer for no matter where you live?
3: First of all, I would I would go to the extension website, and there's a really good way that they show you right on the website how to find a cer- certified arborist in your area. Otherwise, just look at the companies that you've dealt with. Find somebody else who has a, maybe had a tree care person come in. Are they a certified arborist? They will tell you that they're certified or whether they're not certified. It will be right on each company's website if they have certified arborists or not. But I would first of all go to the Extension website. It has a really good method of finding it on a certified arborist there for you.
0: Very good. Back to the phones we go. Mary is calling in from Crystal uh, this morning, I do believe. Mary, thank you for waiting. What's your question for Teresa?
3: My question is about milkweed. And I came home one summer, and they were all along one side of my garage, and that was great. I'd do my part for the butterflies. But now they keep spreading. So how do I stop them from growing where they shouldn't be? That's I get them when they're little. I can pluck them out, but once they're big, cut them off, and they just pop up again. Yep. So what I would do, Miriam, those are real. That's a really good question uh, because they do tend to spread, and I always find them right in the center of a path. They they don't want to be sitting on the side. They for some reason like to trans, you know, to impede my my way through the garden. I don't know why they do that, but they do. Um, the easiest thing to do is once your milkweeds have flowered. Just cut off the flowers. Then they can't self-seed and spread all throughout your garden. That's one of the easiest ways. Otherwise, it is just easier just to keep cutting them off right at the ground level where you see them. You'll find that they can often come up in lawns and places like that, too. But you mow them down so you don't even really realize they're there. That's what I would do, Mary. I would just deadhead. And thank you for doing your part for the pollinators and the butterflies.
0: For sure. This texture, Teresa, says, I have a pink magnolia that got lots of buds this spring, but then they dried up and now has leaves growing at the very bottom, but nowhere else. It's about three feet tall. Is there anything I can do for the plant?
3: What I would do is look for uh, the the uh, magnolia scale. That could be what you're seeing happen. Uh, it's a little insect that when it's little, it moves around, and it's called a crawler at that stage. But when it becomes an adult, it gets like a little armadillo shell over the back of it, and it sits in one place on the trunks and branches of trees, and it sucks out all the juice, and it will kill your magnolia. Uh, magnolia scale is just horrendous here in the Twin Cities right now. Uh, So check and see if you've got that. Look at the at the tree itself. It's three feet tall. So what you can do is bend the branches that don't have any flowers on them and any leaves on them. If they're just snapping, it's dead. So take your pruners and keep cutting back till you see dead wood. It may be that your whole tree has been hit by scale and you're only going to see uh, stuff from the bottom coming up. That means that that's good. It's still alive. It still has leaves coming up from the bottom. So you would just trim out all the dead stuff and uh, and just keep an eye on it because magnolia scale, it's a tough one, and most of us are losing our magnolias to it.
0: Okay. Let's get back to the phones, Teresa. I think Joyce is still waiting there in uh, Stillwater to ask you a question. Joyce, uh, thanks for waiting, Joyce. What, uh, what's your question for Teresa?
2: Yes. Um, one of your previous callers already answered my question. I wanted to know how to find a certified
0: arborist. And I think Teresa answered that question. So
2: thank you for your program.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Joyce. Yeah. That's, uh, that's always good to do. And, and uh, get on for those that missed it, get on the website extension.umn.edu, all sorts of good information, not only uh, as far as uh, uh, finding a certified arborist. And there are many certified arborists in this state. We're lucky to have them for sure. Um, Thanks, Joyce. Uh, I think John may be calling in from Minnetonka this morning. I do believe uh, John. You, oh, he's gone. All right. Well, let's do this. We've got plenty of text messages too. I don't want to forget about those folks. Here's you know, one. Danny, yes. Denny.
3: If I could just interrupt. Sure. If if you you can also call your city office and ask if they have a city forester many cities still have a city forester your taxes pay their salary they are all, they are certified they can come out and look at your trees too a city forester is responsible for all of the trees in the area they will look and diagnose your tree if there's any issues they do not do the work then you would look for an arborist to do the work yeah, so good that's point. an option too so it's a free it's a free thing if your city has a city arborist
0: check with your city oh, city
3: city forester mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: Good point. Uh, This listener says, Our sprinklers are somewhat hindered by branches that are very low on our large burning bushes. Can we trim those back without damaging it?
3: You should be able to trim your burning bush just fine.
0: (laughs) This one says, Tell that lady that I saw a Japanese beetle yesterday. I expect they're slow showing up this year.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've seen a little damage on some of the grapevines, too. So I was thinking... They're here. I'm just not seeing them. Maybe they're just not as much. So, yeah, the JBs are here, folks. Sorry about that. All right.
0: This listener says we have red uh, elderberry growing. I like how it looks and it's so big, but it appears to be growing random places now. Is this going to be a problem in the city?
3: I, I don't think it is because most of us uh weed and we have mulch and we have we mow the lawns. So I don't think you have to worry about elderberry becoming invasive. However, if you're worried about it, you know you can't always just uh prune off the, the berries, although that's why you're growing it, because they have the attractive berries. Uh don't eat those red berries. Please don't eat red elderberry berries. They are they are poisonous. Ooh.
0: Very good. Good tip. All right. I'm getting a signal here, Teresa, we need to take a break, so let's do that very thing. We have more show to come. Keep in mind, next hour, Andy Lindis will be answering your home improvement questions. So if you have any along those lines, uh, keep those in mind, and we'll open up the lines next hour for Andy and uh, your home improvement questions here on News Talk 830 WCCO at 72 degrees on our way to 82. Good Saturday morning to you on this holiday weekend. Denny Long along with Master Gardener Teresa Rooney answering your lawn or garden questions here on our Smart Garden Show. 651 461 That's the phone number. It also happens to be the text number. And, uh, Teresa, we have a bunch of text messages. So let's uh, let's see how many we can feel before you take your leave today. Okay. Uh, this uh, text says, I'm moving some bleeding heart plants that are terribly overgrown and neglected. I need to do it now, but what is the best process, do you think?
3: Sure. If you're uh, moving any plants, what you want to do is make sure where you're putting them is where you want them. They're in the right place. They will be in the right place. Dig how deep the hole you think you should be planting in. Fill that hole up with water. Let it drain out. Then go dig up the plant. Bring it over to that area Put it back into the hole, backfill, and then water it again. And treat all of those plants that you move as brand new plants for this year, which means In the fall, you'll want to make sure that they get watered until the ground freezes. Um, You don't want to keep watering continuously. You want to keep watering them uh, about an inch of water a week or, or as it gets cooler, a little less. You're treating them like newly transplanted baby plants. And then you may want to, once the ground is frozen, dress them with a little bit of leaves, give them a little bit of mulch, and then next year they'll be just fine. They'll come out of the spring. So any plants that you move this year, Treat them as brand-new plants that you just bought at the garden center all season long. Make sure you're watering them, you're caring for them just a little a bit more, and you should be just fine.
0: Good luck
3: with your transplants.
0: Here's one, uh, Teresa, that says, I cannot get my Aphrodite hosta to complete its bloom. I have three. Two are in the uh, morning sun. One, not at all. Get eight bloom stems. They all get eight bloom stems and produce flowers, but they don't open. Uh, for their great aroma. They shrivel and mold. Uh, couldn't have, find help on the internet. Uh, any ideas about that hosta?
3: Whoa, that's a new one on me. Um, make sure that you aren't overhead watering. That the plant has a lot of good air circulation around it. If you have a sprinkler, make sure the sprinkler head is not directed at the plant. Uh, maybe even just for this one season, try not to water it. Maybe turn the sprinkler head away, and then you ha- you water that plant if it's needed. Uh, I can't think of why a bloom would mold if it's not if it's getting enough air circulation. That that's a new one on me, and I'm not quite sure why it's doing that.
0: Okay. This texter has grasshoppers eating some plants. Anything I can do, they say.
3: You can um, pick those grasshoppers off and put them in soapy water and let them drown and die happily. Uh, You can do that. Otherwise, understand that when you're seeing damage from insects in your yard, you have two options, well, three options. You can ignore it and hope for the best. You can hand pick or use something to kill those things. Or you can wait for the population of those pests to get big enough to attract the predators that will come in and then take care of the problem for you, bring it down to a manageable level. You're always going to have insect pests in the garden. That's part of the world. Um, but you want to think, how are you going to handle this situation um, for the most part, most of our plants can handle a little bit of predate- a little bit of feeding on them they 'll be just fine. You just have to worry if the plant gets stripped of all of its leaves and then gets stripped again. it just won 't have the energy to keep reviving all the time. So you have to figure out how bad the damage is and how much you want to interfere. Remember that every time you interfere, you're setting back the population of the problem insect so that it will never reach that critical level where it will attract the natural predators, whether that's Birds, or another insect or even skunks and raccoons and things like that that eat grubs and and things in the garden. Um, And when you use chemicals in your garden, that can upset balances of what's going on out there, so you may cause more problems down the road than you were thinking of. So that's a long, convoluted answer. Um, I hope you can find something in there that will help you answer your grasshopper question.
0: Very good. This listener, Teresa, says, is it too late to cut back Japanese lilac without affecting next year's bloom?
3: It, it probably is too late. Um, however, if you need to do some strategic pruning, go ahead and do the strategic pruning. Uh, you should be just fine. Um, now, you said Japanese lilac. If you mean the big tree lilacs get that get the white blooms on them, you should be fine cutting those back. If you're thinking of the purple lilacs, the French lilacs that bloom earlier in the sp- uh, late spring and early summer, then you're probably too late to trim those. But if you're meaning the big white ones, you're probably okay trimming those.
0: Okay, a couple of minutes to go in the show, Teresa. Here's another text. Uh, t- a listener has a tiger eye sumac in my landscape. It is spreading into the lawn. Can I use a herbicide on these spreaders? Uh, without harming the mother plant.
3: What you have to do is know where the roots are and the mother plant, and you would have to sever that root. And then you could use um, an herbicide in the lawn for a broadleaf lawn. But if if for a broadleaf weed if however you do not sever the root the chemical will be drawn into the mother plant and it could kill the mother plant so those are your options uh, digging them out is maybe the easiest thing to do and then if you can figure out where that root is go back to the garden edge and sever that root at that that area and then hopefully the the problem plant out in the yard won't won't have any energy to resprout Yep. okay, go ahead.
0: One more quick one, then we have to go. Uh, a okay. very old peony plant that blooms every year. This year I only got a few blooms. Do I need to divide the plant?
3: No, do not divide your peony. Just give it a little compost or, or a little feed. It will be just
0: fine. All right, well, in the last minute or so, uh, first of all, let's mention that folks, if they haven't done so yet, get to the Arboretum. Get online oh. and, and, uh, and get a membership and get out there.
3: The roses and the clematis and the lilies are blooming beautifully. Go out there, it's wonderful.
0: I think I'm going to do that next weekend, as a matter of fact. Now, for those also, Teresa, who maybe have never checked out the university website, uh, how, how do we find that and what are we going to find once we get there?
3: Go to extension.umn.edu for Extension University of Minnesota Education. And you'll go to that website, click on the Yard and Garden tab. You'll find Almost everything you ever wanted to know or needed to know about gardening, lawns, insects, problems, diseases, beautiful plants, how to get a hold of master gardeners, tips for the gardener. You'll find everything out there. It's just Absolutely. great reading.
0: Perfect. Uh, Teresa, always, uh, as usual, thank you so much for your expertise, your help. Always fun. And uh, we'll do another show next week. I'm not sure who's on, but, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll talk to you in the next couple of weeks of show. Okay, I'm sure. take
3: care. Happy holiday, everybody.
0: Thanks very much. Master Gardener Teresa Rooney here on CCO. Get those home improvement questions ready for Andy Lindis. That's coming up next hour here on CCO. Chance of showers, thunderstorms today. Better chance on Independence Day right now. Mostly cloudy skies. Current uh, CCO temperature reading 72 degrees. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas...